because this uh, might be the, the inner chronicle of what we are and we have to articulate ourselves, otherwise we would be cows in the field. Welcome to Cows in the Field. This is a show where we discuss philosophical themes in popular films. My name is Justin. I'm Laura. And today we're taking a vacation to Clendathu to stomp on some bugs. It's Starship <laughs> Troopers. Hey, kid, what's going on? War! We're going to war! Now the youth of tomorrow must travel across the stars to defend our world. We are a generation commanded by fate to defend humankind. Everyone fights, no one quits. We are going in with first wave. You smash the entire area, you kill anything that has more than two legs, you get me? We get you, sir! And we're pleased to welcome to the show Liam Billingham. Liam is a podcast producer at Sugar 23 and the host of Die Hard on a Blank, a show about all the various ways to execute a Die Hard movie. Welcome to <laughs> Cows in the Field, Liam. Thank you. And that's a great high sort of highbrow description of, of Die Hard on a Blank. Um, th thanks for having me here. I, I love this show and um, I'm excited that we're talking about this, this movie that it's just bizarre. It's a very bizarre movie. I kind of love it. Um, I don't know I if, love it's Laura's, it too. if it's a top one for Laura, but we've now done, this was our second Paul Verhoeven. We did Basic Instinct earlier, and um, I'm very excited to get into it. First question to you, Liam, is when's the first time you saw this movie? Like, what was your feeling when you first saw it? So I worked at a, would I have been there? When I was like 14, um, I believe I started to like help out at a video store in my hometown of Duxbury, Massachusetts. And I remember renting this the night that it came out and watching it like 15, 20 times. Cause I was like a, <laughs> yeah, 14 or 15 year old idiot. And was like, this is so cool. And I remember getting the book and like trying to read the book, but feeling like the book wasn't as like really interesting. And I will say I like was a bit of a, um, do you guys want me to stop? No. Justin, I think, is trying to locate the book. Please continue. Oh, yeah. Okay. So I remember... <laughs> I got the book right here. <laughs> I was so confused. I was like, we're doing dynamic yeah, podcast. Sorry, sorry. So sorry. I remember buying the book, which was blue and had like the guy... I remember the cover. Like, I know the edition that you're holding in your yeah. hand right now, Justin. Yeah, it's the one that tied the movie tie-in. Yep, That's exactly. It's probably yeah. that one. And I, I never really read it, but I remember reading bits of it. And then... And I was a bit of a Paul Verhoeven fan. Like, I liked Robocop, but I... And I think this is the important thing. I then watched the movie again in like the summer of 2003 mm. after, you know, some pretty horrible events yes. in our country and <laughs> kind of was like, holy shit. Yep. I had no idea what this movie was about when I was 14. And now as like someone in their mid 20s, I kind of blew my mind. And from then on, I was like, this is like kind of a the greatest piece of American sort of subversive cinema like made at this scale. And the fact that it also is like kind of a banger of an action movie is wild to me. Yes, I totally agree with all of this. I think this, so when I first saw it, I would have been, I saw it in theaters. So I don't know what I, what is this? 97. I, I would have been mm -hmm. young and probably too young. I think my dad was a Verhoeven fan. And I think that's why he wanted to take me to this movie. We didn't know. I don't think he knew it was going to be this violent. And the first scene of the movie is these guys getting like ripped apart by bugs? It I was pretty freaked out. I mean, I was scared, and I it really it because of that I never fully recovered during that viewing. So I didn't 
catch any of the satire any of I, mean, I think my dad was chuckling throughout the movie and I didn't understand why because yeah, I was like I didn't this movie get it at is all. super like, scary. <laughs> this movie is scary. It's super violent and like those those scenes are really intense and um but I remember also I mean it's intriguing because there's nudity and there's like cool action sequences so there was enough there to like hook a young red-blooded man right or, or soon to be man and uh but i i didn't know what i was into i i'm not sure if it was like a favorite of mine or anything but i was certainly intrigued and you know revisiting it over the years like yourself it it a lot of th- stuff comes into focus have you by the way have you read that cracked.com article which says starship troopers predicted uh the war on terror I mean, probably after the fact. I'll I'll tell you this. I I remember watching this in like 2009 or 10 with a guy that I have known for a long time in my life. And I think he's pretty smart. And it ended and he was like, why do you like that movie so much? And I was like, what do you mean? And he was like, I was like, and I sort of elucidated what I thought it was about. And he was like, it's not about those things. It's just a movie about bugs. And I was like, really? Like... This is like, I just was really perplexed that he didn't uh, put it together in his head. But um, I think I did read the article after the fact, but I, I definitely like extol the virtues of this movie. And I'm a big uh, Verhoeven guy in general. I mean, and I, and I, this movie kind of changed my brain and made me watch every Paul Verhoeven movie differently. After Got it. I see. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did Laura, so did you watch it for the first time two nights ago? N- no, okay. I think I watched it with you, Jess. And like, I feel like we were watching, I have a memory of us watching it in the apartment that we lived in when I was in grad school. So I feel like we mm-hmm. watched it in like 2012. And, um, but at, at that point you had sort of given me the, like, this is the movie that predicts the war. Oh, Iraq. I had like made that joke. Yeah, Government you had already sort it. of laid that out for I me. See, so I, I didn't see. have an opportunity to kind of like uncover that myself. I no, went in knowing that this was a satire. Um, and then, yeah, we revisited it last night. Um, I'm like, I'm totally perplexed by this movie. Not that I like don't understand that it's a satire. I do get that. But I, but it's, um, it's, a, it's like, the, it's tonally so strange. Uh, I liked mm-hmm. it much more the second time than I did the first time. I think the first time my response to Justin was also, why do you like this movie so much? Um, <laughs> but now I, I, I was, I was enjoying myself. I do time think as like a Verhoeven fan, like yourself, Liam, I think it's easy. It's an easy, it goes down easier than if you're coming to it, not with any Verhoeven mm-hmm. background. Yeah, I think that's true. And, you know, one of the things when we started talking about talking about when we started to talk about doing this movie, I like did a little mini Verhoeven uh, run this earlier this year. So I also watched Basic Instinct and I listened to your episode on it. And then um, I watched Flesh and Bone. Have you guys seen Flesh and Bone? I've not seen that. I would like to, though. Yeah. Oh, my God. It is just like, like, it is like this but set in medieval times like just like wildly violent hard to watch hilariously funny and hilariously funny in that way that paul verhoven has kind of like like it's just it's like painful to absorb and and deal with but it's like the laugh sticks in your throat and i think that that is part of the tonal issue of this movie is you're like what why? what it's just it's it's out there and it's incredible that it was a mainstream movie like people saw this movie for sure yeah. Which is just wild to me. Yeah. And it came out like, I mean, I'm thinking like, because this movie totally passed me by. I don't remember it happening at all. I was, I'm a little bit younger. I was like in the fourth grade at this point. But I remember Independence Day, for example. Like, yeah, I feel like we were no. going through like a Amer- like Americans 
fl- fly the yeah. flag and like shoot down bug aliens phase. Like there was oh, a we lot really of movies. Were, huh? I that's feel funny. Like, and Mars Attacks was like a few early, which is like that's uh-huh. a satire, but a very different this kind. Is I mean, we've talked a little bit about this on this podcast. I think we did it in the Independence Day episode, but like the '90s end of history thing is a real mm-hmm. thing. With yeah. like the with we've defeated communism. There are no more enemies on this planet. <laughs> Who so is our antagonist elsewhere? Now, right? Who right. else yeah, can exactly. we blow up? It can be. It has to be <laughs> aliens because we we right. dominated everything in this part of the galaxy. Oh, Men in Black. That's the other one. Exactly. Bug, yeah. oh, bug aliens black. too in particular yeah yeah i thought about so that funny. when they were squishing the the bug the cockroaches in the one of the um one of the videos one of the propaganda videos they're doing their part and they're squishing, they're squishing the bugs i love <laughs> oh my god <laughs> that part well speaking of that i i was reading i was looking at letterboxd as you do before you record a podcast about um <laughs> a movie and i noticed that your past guest and our past guest jamel Bowie wrote a nice little encapsulation of this movie. And he said, there's only one scene of satire in the entire movie. And the rest of it is meta commentary. And I was like, the scene of satire has to be the I'm doing my part. And then like stepping down on the bugs, right? Like that's clearly the, the most satirical thing. If you view it through the lens of this is like someone on YouTube getting like, you know, Patriot pills or whatever you want, however you want to describe what's happening in the movie. And it's interesting that Netflix describes it as a satire. I would say that's like an assignment it only got much later. I think when it came out, it was like, this is an action movie. Like they never winked. I Paul Verhoeven never winked and was like, he never winks in the movie, I th- yeah. except once. I think he actually winks in the movie, and otherwise, I think right. It's... No, I think you're totally, totally right about that. The other funny thing about the, the doing our part is the deranged mom who's yeah. clapping. While <laughs> yeah, the deranged while mom rules. <laughs> um, I mean, it, it is. I think a bad move in 1997. I hope I'm getting the date of this movie right. To market right. your movie as making fun of the very people who are going to. And the very military industrial complex and all that, that's going to build up and sell tickets for your movie. Yeah. So understandably, Verhoeven is like, this is an action movie. And and not only that, I think what's also interesting and can contribute to its appeal is that it's kind of three movies in one. It's that action movie, yes. But it's also a last day of high school movie. It's like Can't Hardly it's a Wait. Beverly Hills 90210. 90210. Mm-hmm. It's a soap opera, American mm-hmm. Graffiti. You know, that first 20 or 30 minutes or so is Johnny Rico facing this choice point in his life. School's over. He's kind of a dumb, you know, rich kid who doesn't really have any direction. What is he going to do with his life? And he decides kind of arbitrarily to devote himself to this fanatical fascist, you know, militaristic cause. Then we get the middle part of the movie, which is a boot camp movie, right? That's the first yeah. half of, of Full Metal Jacket. And a pretty killer boot camp movie. Yeah. Like, as far as it goes, it rocks. Like, totally. it's really good. I think the first two-thirds of this movie are unimpeachably awesome. I think it loses a little bit on the back end. It gets a little bit long towards the end and, the, you know, the yeah. fourth bug battle or whatever. But those Too many f- giant bugs. Cut the giant bugs by, exactly. like, one or two. <laughs> yes. And I think, I think it's pretty clean. Which, they are cool. The first time I see the giant bug who burns people... I I'm like that there's in. different kinds. There's also yeah. the ones that just like meet have like meteor butts or something, right? Like they're like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's a technical term. You would think that the bugs, a bug for that, bugs, yeah, yeah, for sure. Those are like the WMD bugs, but you would think they could also launch those at like they could just bring a couple of those bugs and launch them at the soldiers, right? They would totally obliterate them anyway. But they're busy launching stuff into space. It's all good. <laughs> 
So I don't think the bugs or the soldiers are really thinking through anything. No, that's true. <laughs> I recall in the marketing campaign, they really sold the action on the back of that giant bug coming out of the sand yeah. and Rico turning around. Like that was like, you know, the, I don't think they cut trailers in quite the same way, but that would have been like the final 10 seconds of the trailer if they yeah. made this movie in 2022. Mm-hmm. And by the way, this movie has two or three sequels that play a completely straight face that don't you, realize that did not get the, the I see. So you've the seen first them. one. Have mm-hmm. you seen them? I haven't seen them. I I, I kind of just was like this. This it's like the so- RoboCop sequels. Like this isn't going to work. Yeah, I think you know? like there. I I mean I think our friend of the podcast Matt Stroll has probably seen them. He's a he's a master completionist when it comes to these sorts of things. So we can always ask Stroll what he thinks. I'm sure he has opinions on differentiating which of them is solid and which of them isn't. But we have not seen them. Is Casper in both of them as Johnny Rico? Did he's he in at them? least the third. He's in at okay. least one, the third. Yeah, I think he okay. comes back for the third one. Um, okay. Casper Van Dien, what a what a <laughs> fellow for about a year or two. And interesting. It's like such a product of that time. And by the way. Like yeah. everyone in this movie, with the exception of maybe one person, a good actor and perfectly cast for this part. I totally think so, too. No, I think. OK, let's talk about the casting. So he. OK, first of all, <laughs> they're playing high school students and they're all pushing 30 to 30? 40. Yeah. I mean, some of them are on the on the you know, low end of 30. Yeah. Xander is <laughs> Xander is, I think, fully you know, coming into his mid thirties. I don't know. He looks middle-aged to me. In this um, movie. I know he's, I don't think the actor actually is, but when you first see him in that football helmet, I'm like, okay. <laughs> okay. But, but to your point, Liam, I think, and, and it, okay. The other thing, sorry, I have to do one more thing. They're basically all soap, ap- soap opera actors. So they're yeah. all TV actors effectively. I mean, that's where they got their, most of their career. Um, but it works because it really works. none of them is trying to do more than they're being asked to do. And especially the stuff with Carmen in the spaceship, it really that those scenes all feel like a TV show, basically. It feels like a kind of low rent Star Trek TV show. Yeah, or like Babylon 5, exactly. if you remember that yeah. show. Or like, yeah, like these kind of like, and again, it's like he's such a master that it all feels like when they go into hyperspace or whatever you call it, and they sort of like bend at the edge of the frame, you're like, oof, this is like very winkingly like. And that's why I think the argument that it's a propaganda film is really interesting because it plays like a B-movie, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. made by too good of a director to make a... Have you guys seen the footage of him directing this movie? No, but how, tell us about oh it. Oh, my God. It is... I mean, I think it got... Because, you know, we're recording this the day after his 85th birthday. And, like, everyone posts it. I think we even posted it on the Die Hard on a Blank film uh, uh, feed. But it's like, he is like... You're, and then you're in the pit. Rah! And then you're fighting in the alien. Rah! And like he's acting it all out in this like very, and it's like, you know, it's like this hilarious 60 something year old Dutch man just being like all the actors are kind of watching him. And like he, he's so physically committed that like watching him direct, it's like he really is like a kid. And like, I think that he understood like, this isn't an interesting moment in Verhoeven's career because he's post- this is post Basic Instinct. It's post RoboCop, right? He's yeah. kind of on the end of this Hollywood run. I mean, I think he follows this up with Hollow Man, which I think is an interesting movie, but like definitely not his best. And then 
I sort of rediscovered him. He made a movie called Black Book. Have you guys mm-hmm. seen Black Book? Mm-hmm. Which I think is just a masterpiece. I think it's a really, really incredible movie. And then he becomes this like European auteur who's like on the order of like a Hanukkah or a yeah. Lars von Trier, which is really, I think, where he always was meant to live. But he was smart. and was like, I'm going to go to Hollywood and like make a bunch of money and then go back to Europe and like make these like punishing nuanced complicated movies right but in this period he's just like a total goof uh but so much smarter than everybody else it's like kind of amazing uh to watch him direct this and to watch his energy and to sort of like understand where this is in the trajectory of his career yes totally yeah i mean i think that is what you're saying speaks to i think the thing that i was suggesting which is just it's he knows exactly what he wants to do. He puts the parts in place. So he probably could have cast more high profile actors in this I right. mean, easily. But instead, he uses the budget for other things. Like I think the CGI on the on the bugs looks great. Um, and he, you know, he casts these B level actors to play B level parts and it and it totally works. Because I think had he cast someone more high profile, like say Brad Pitt or something. That's, you know, he's going to stick out Too like good. a sore thumb in this movie. Something's not going to feel right that because he's going to be playing it sort of he's going to be just too yeah, too good, too smooth, too cool and collected and there's something about Casper Van Dien where he's like he's I mean, I like look. Everyone is perfect in this movie, but Casper Van Dien is is like at the very limits of I think his powers in this movie, and <laughs> you can see the edges as he's trying a little bit too hard at times, and it's just sort of the he's struggling to like make sense of this character, and I think that's all good because I think that's exactly what needs to come through. We need to see a guy who's just a little stupid trying to figure out his thing in his life. And you kind of see Casper Van Dien like working out the character. It works kind of perfectly. So that's just a testament to Verhoeven's casting. Well, yeah. And I also think one thing that occurred to me in my rewatch when I was like grown up was like, huh, this movie takes place in Buenos Aires and everyone is like pretty kind like they read as like all American kids. They don't have mm-hmm. accents. They have like, you know, his name is Johnny Rico, Carmen, like these things. But it 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 it's one of those movies that makes you wonder about the edges of what you don't see on planet Earth and what has happened to people because it's very like it feels very homogenized. Like I'm sorry, Neil Patrick Harris is not from Buenos Aires, Argentina, <laughs> yes. as we understand it as a place now, really. Like it feels yeah. a little like very like you said earlier winky and one of the details that's so smart about this movie is that sort of the like political structure of the society is explained in the in that scene with michael ironsides as Mm -hmm. radcheck and he's like they're civilians and they're citizens and like what is going on they're all distracted and like blowing bubble gum you know etch-a-sketch pictures at each other and like no one's actually like learned a thing in their high school experience and like it's just really the things that get by the characters that don't get by the audience in this movie are like very dynamic and smart. Yes, totally. That scene, which we should spend some time on, is I think a masterclass in terms of delivering expository information, mm-hmm. um, but in a way which is dynamic and interesting. Naked force has resolved more issues throughout history than any other factor. The contrary opinion that violence never solves anything is wishful thinking at its worst. People who forget that always pay. Rico, what's the moral difference, if any, between a civilian and a citizen? A citizen accepts personal responsibility for the safety of the body politic, defending it with his life. A civilian does not. The exact words of the text. But do you understand it 
Do you believe it? I don't know. We're we're seeing a post-democracy world. So democracy in this in this world has sort of run its course. And you know, it's not out of the question in 2023 to think that democracy might run its course, right? I mean, we've just seen an attempted coup of the US government. Um, and we've seen the inclinations to fascism cropping up again and again, not just in America, but even in, but in in Germany itself, of all places, the you know the where you thought fascism could never rearise, like in these places, it's coming back. There's like an undercurrent. Well, in the Netherlands too, you know, I mean, his home country, his home country. Like, I, mean, yeah. I feel like it's less threatening, but like five six years ago, there there was like this real fear of the far right taking power. So. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, and that's where his, I mean, he started his career as a documentarian and like literally, you know, was bombed as like a three-year-old. So like it's it's really woven into the fabric of his, you know, he's old enough to have experienced that stuff. Yeah, totally. Firsthand. One of the things that I think is so compelling about that scene is he, through Raschek, we get all this information, you know, quickly, like what's happened? Democracy has fallen. Also, we later learn, I should just it's part of this, but not part of this scene. But we've la- we later learned that we effectively have a world government. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's not clear it's just the UN. It looks like there's a supreme leader who leads the entire world. I think it's just the Federation. Is the, the Federation. That's all that's exactly. Left. There's just a federated, yeah. you know, unified uh Which world is so government. sci-fi movie. Like, it feels like that's like your uto- usually the utopian vision of a, of a future is like, like right. Ender's Game or something like that, where it's like, no, we're a federation. It's all good. Like everything's good. Everyone's yeah. on board with this new world order. Yeah. But this movie is so much more sinister, quietly sinister about yes. it. Yes. Well, what I think is interesting though is that the seeds of like what if you were a like classical liberal, someone who's opposed to fascism, the seeds of things that you would like are there. So one you might like is a unified world government. You know, mm. there's no conflicts anymore armed conflicts between humans because you have a world government so that's all settled another thing that's interesting is it's incredibly cosmopolitan so mm-hmm. the leader who steps down and is replaced by the other leader like she seems like she's from africa and like you know i i forgot her name tahatmaru is her name mm-hmm. and like you know i mean now okay there's all these white people in buenos aires but again you might wonder whether through like we're past this point of like after generations and generations and like, you know, people have moved all over the place. And so I don't know, like this is now, you know, there's, it's become like white people have Ibanez is their name. Like, I mean, it, it's not out of the question. Anyway, so there's this thing where like we have a seemingly cosmopolitan thing. We have no war anymore. And you're like, yeah, this is actually, this is pretty, you know, we have world peace. Of course, the cost of it is that, <laughs> For some reason, <laughs> the only way you can vote is if you serve in the military. So the only way to get civilian, sorry, citizen status is to serve in the military or have babies. Yeah, or you even can't have, have babies. children without yeah. without being without serving. You without know? serving, yeah. the woman's like, I want to have babies in the shower scene. Yeah, um, yep. if you want to advance in society, then you have to like join the military, right? You have to become like, and that's the, that's the argument that this movie is a propaganda ad for for joining the military, right? It's, I mean, it's interesting, yeah. Although, it, yes, but at the same time, it's it's so absurd. The idea that, like, in order to vote, you have to have served in the military 
is is I think so. I mean, patently absurd to like Americans in the American context. Yeah, I was gonna right. say it there's should, it plenty should... of countries that have compulsory medical uh, sure, military sure, yeah. service. Sure, sure, yeah, but but in the American context, that it <laughs> should sort of read as like absurd, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But w- the other reason it's sort of absurd is if you put two and two together. So we have a unified government, so there's no war. But why are we needing everyone to serve in the military? And also, like, what? So what, we're building up this. they got a bug problem. Okay, fair enough. So, so this, yes, go for it. But go this, for it. So this is what blew my mind watching it in, like, 2004. Because, yeah. like, again, it's like, or maybe it's, I don't know. But it's, like, it's pretty soon after the invasion, right? And this movie, like, is comfortably nestled between two wars, right? Yep. Like, very yep. comfortably nestled in two suspicious wars. And the thing that I think is uh, amazing is the, like... <laughs> The bug sent another asteroid. And you're like, they don't have the technology to yeah. do that. <laughs> like, this is kind of unbelievable. Like, like the, the premise that you set up is that they're sending asteroids to hit the planet Earth, but this it's seemingly random and looks like a conscious attempt to create an antagonism from a race of people that, like, literally don't have the... They're not intellectually aggressive creatures. They're like characters under attack. And so the whole fabric of what is motivating the society is, again, like, let's create a fake war. You know, yes. I hate, I hesitate to use yes. like the false flag thing, but it's actually a false flag operation totally. on some level. Totally. And that's what I wondered. So I was thinking about that this time and I was, I was thinking like, why? I, to- I think that's right. I think that's in the text of the film, even if it's implicit. But the mm-hmm. question then is like, why, what is the government stand to gain from this? And it could be that one thing that they're trying to do is they've realized, because again, it's a government run by veterans, as Raschek says. The veterans took power. So the way they must see it is to have a docile and subservient populace, you need an enemy. And we don't have any enemies on this planet anymore because we've got the unified government. So we got to have an extraterrestrial enemy. Yeah. I mean, that's also how, often how fascism works too, yeah. right? The, through like fear and hatred. You, Johnny Rico's about to go back home and go back to Harvard. And, and he thinks in Buenos Aires is bombed or meteorized um, maybe from other, his own government. I don't know. And like he's, you know, animated by hatred and terror enough to be like, I need the Federation and it needs me. <laughs> Yep. It also does this smart thing where it's like, you know, there's these co- these camera choices. And like, I think there's a very large discussion to talk about about Verhoeven's techniques and how I think they're really rooted in like Brechtian theater. Honestly, I think he's like one of cinema's great Brechtian directors. But like the moment, for example, where they all get tattoos and mm-hmm. they turn and they show them to the camera. You're like, yeah. holy shit. This is not just like like he's very clearly being like. There's two moments where characters either like gesture towards the lens or look into the lens in this movie mm-hmm. where you're like, like this is all. And one of those is like, look at our cool tattoos. And it's yeah. just like the equation of like kill them all with like this faceless, nameless enemy is like pretty disturbing in a, in the context of now. But again, when you're 14, that's what's that's I think why this movie was controversial because there were smart people who were like, is Paul Verhoeven in on the joke? And like, yes, of course, Paul Verhoeven, who made fucking RoboCop, pardon my language, is in on the joke about like the <laughs> militarization of of our society. Like he's 40 years ahead of that. So, but it was controversial because like, I don't, the movie never obviously condemns the behavior of anyone in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. It Well, it also uh, glorifies it. I mean, mm-hmm. that there is this concern, not just about, you know, not editorializing but by making johnny rico and his friends uh so sympathetic that um you are caught up in the 
in the sort of ideology of the film. And I, I agree with you when I was seeing this for the first time and not registering any of those other political dimensions. Um, um, it's very easy to just think, yeah, let's go kill those bugs. They're bad. Um, and they're also, I mean, they're very scary. I mean, that's another thing. The bugs are mm -hmm. depicted as incredibly scary. And they're gross. They're super gross. Yeah. They're super, like, they're very powerful in terms of they can, like, rip people apart. So what they do to the human body is, you know, really intense. We see several scenes of just, you know, the remains of humans strewing around. And um, so it's like, yeah, it's very, um, it's very visceral what they can do to us. And uh, I think, so you could, you could argue that the film is when it's not just interstitially giving us propaganda when it's doing this, but it is itself a form. I mean, of course it's fictional propaganda because we're not <laughs> going to Clendathu, sorry. But, um, but you know, the film shows us the very same things that the, that the, the newsreel footage shows us, namely people getting killed by these bugs mercilessly, the, the aftermath of it, um, all the dead bodies and so on. And we're very rarely showing, except to, except at the end, showing that the bugs have a degree of um you know inner inner life and feeling as well well that queen bug it's almost like at the end of the film if you're if you're paying attention it's like oh that's the tragic character exactly. in this movie exactly. it's like they they kill this you know this queen bug or they take her away from her 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 brood i suppose is the word um and it it just goes down different. It also goes down different that Neil Patrick Harris is dressed like a member of the Third Reich. Yes, he's like a Gestapo of officer. Like that's where the movie really just like... <laughs> I know. Get it? You know, like, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's pretty I, obvious. I read moment. a fun fact from um, that um, studio executives were, I guess, sometimes caught wind of the fact that this might be... Um, they were like, hey, um, that Federation banner looks like a lot like a Nazi flag. <laughs> and Verhoeven goes, no, no, it's completely different colors. <laughs> It's like, oh my god, he's so smart. Yeah, that's right. Dude, I could just about as soon as be like, okay, I guess. Right. Uh, the check cash, okay, fine. <laughs> it's complete. They're like, wait a second, how come Neil Patrick Harris is wearing Gestapo uniform? Well, no, hold on now. No, it's, hold on. He's hold not on. got whoa, the hat. Whoa. That's Doogie Hauser. How dare you yeah. say that about Doogie? <laughs> Those are doctors scrubs. <laughs> Future doctor scrubs. This he's is a, a sequel to Doogie Hauser. It's just a kind of unorthodox one. It uh, takes place in the same cinematic universe. Uh, man, I uh, just speaking of those propaganda videos, so there are, I think are five of them and mm -hmm. they, I mean they're just they're just th I mean that's the parts of the film where uh, at least I today am am laughing so, like I'm not like maybe you know chortling with total joy but I am definitely smirking um do you have a favorite of the of them so I, there's the, no, I don't think I have a favorite, but I think this is like the moment where I'd like to go on a little bit of like a, a focused tangent on yeah. this this stuff in the movie, which is like, so one of the things I mentioned earlier about Verhoeven is that he's entered this like auteur, uh, this European auteur phase where he's making like, he makes, um, I forget the name of L, the film with Isabelle Huppert, which is like, you know, some people read as this like empowering feminist movie. Other people read it as like the complete opposite. Um, and I think that there's then like, you know, accusations of misogyny against him for a long part of his career. And I even read some stuff about this movie that we can get into. But 
I, in the in the interim of seeing this movie for the first time and then coming back to it, like, you know, sort of as the way that I've been framing it this whole time, I went to theater school. And the first play I did was Bertolt Brecht's play, The Good Woman of Szechuan. I don't know if you guys know that, but it's, you know, he was a German playwright and anti-war. And he, his most famous work is called Mother Courage and Her Children, which is a, about a woman sort of surviving the 30 years war and what she has to do to stay alive and continue to make a living in like a, like in a, in a war zone. And his whole technique is to, is the idea of alienation. So you as an audience member are estranged from what you're seeing. Right. And like that you know, on the theater that can be articulated a bunch of ways. They use music, right? Like really music that comes out of nowhere or the performances are really overdone or there's like a whole bunch of different, you know, theatrical techniques. And there are filmmakers, I think, that are that do this pre- pretty successfully. I think the most famous example is Lars von Trier's Dogville, where he puts, you know, everyone on a stage and there's no set. And the whole time you're kind of watching it and like you're at a remove and you're thinking critically about what you're seeing as opposed to like being wrapped up in it. That's the idea. And Hanukkah uh, is a good example of this with most of his movies. But I think that this is like the best example of an, of a, of a mainstream American Brechtian approach because those, those propaganda framing devices make you go like, what am I, what am I watching here? (laughs) Like, is this, like, is this funny? It's this serious? Like, I mean, obviously it's funny, but when you're a kid, like I I took it literally. Right. So it's like Mm -hmm. a 12 year old or 13 year old. I was like, Oh, cool. This is like a recruitment video. And that coupled with Justin, as you said earlier, like the slightly elevated performances and the fact that these people are kind of playing archetypes and that they're, you're never like, you're not watching subtlety on screen. You're watching the subtext become text. Like, I'm never, I'm, I'm not going to go to war, dad. Like, no one actually ever <laughs> has, a, has a thought of their own, right? And if they do, it's this like externalized thing, right? No one has a private moment. Johnny Rico like gets broken up with on like a video deck with like all of these people around. Like, so Verhoeven <laughs> does a very good job of giving almost no one an inner life that isn't like obviously articulated, which I think is like a really interesting tool to make you kind of go like, is the acting in this bad? Is the writing bad? Like, is this kind of a bad movie? Um, And then he sort of like, by the same token, creates this amazing action movie. So you're simultaneously like, this is kind of bad, but the action rules, like, like, so you're having this like really critical relationship with what you're seeing on screen. Like as a thinking person, I think you can be, this is fun, but it's hard to ignore what it's about. And it, it, it lives in this like really um, conflicted zone. And I think that that's very Brechtian and that like you're critically thinking about what you're seeing as opposed to just being like, yeah, war is cool. There are moments when you're like, oh, this rocks. And other moments where you're like, these people are fucking fascists. I see. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. So so you're thinking it's all of a piece. So all the the, the sort of media, you know, let be, let's call it B acting the somewhat stagey set design, especially mm-hmm. the, yes. on the ship, right? The, which rickety. Has, yeah, rickety. <laughs> yes. It look, just doesn't look really filled <laughs> out. Um, uh, you have that on the one side. You have, I think also you could even argue the 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 setup of the film with the kind of tropey Johnny Rico, what am I going to do? Oh, no, dad, I, I'm, I'm going to go and fight. And mm-hmm. he goes for the girl and the girl clearly doesn't love him. Like all this is so tropey and stayed and when you're watching it as like an informed viewer it feels like you're watching an episode of 90210 and then you get the 
heavy duty action stuff, which is so immersive. And, and it's that like interplay between <laughs> those two good. elements. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's really cool. I like that a lot. Um, I mean, I well, do. Think, and I, th- yeah, I think ahead. the one thing that I just want to add is that the, the most disturbing thing about this movie is the very provocative idea that in order to become like a person, in order to like understand your place in the world, in order to like go through the journey that like people go from like high school to adulthood, you have to accept war as the default responsibility in a society. Like it's mm-hmm. because they all grow up, but they grow grow up into like you know, Nazi ops people, a, a pilot piloting these ships like in an unlawful invasion. And finally, a guy who's like, I'm a I'm a meathead. Like my whole yeah. function yeah. in life is to be a jarhead. Yeah. And like, but that that moment when they all meet later in the film and they're all serious and solemn and it's like, the 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 con the, what's so smart about that is that that's the moment when we're kind of like oh they've all self actualized like they're the real people they've all been wanting to be in this movie but mm-hmm. it's like they've become the worst fucking people in the world and it's so dynamically and smartly done because it's really disturbing to think like oh this is what growing up means in this society yes yes well totally yeah I mean Rico pre the Federation military has no direction. Right. He did. He's going to go to Harvard. but He doesn't really want to. Um, also, he's got to be getting into Harvard as a kind of Nepo <laughs> case anyway, because he got 35 percent of the math. I like that idea, though, but, that like in a war and of society that's way more focused on like military advancement. And that's your career versus like education that like Harvard goes back to just being like a place where rich kids go regardless yeah. of grades. <laughs> Um, but like he has no direction until it's provided for him by the federation and you know i agree that is it's but it it does speak to here here's a really depressing take on this so the film puts forward the idea that to gain all of the sort of benefits of uh or or what you get at the end of a kind of unified world government world peace and all that is you get a restless populace that just needs to be juiced up on military. and Because they don't have any direction mm-hmm. otherwise. What else is there to do in this world where every all your, largely your needs are provided for and so on? You have to go and f- fight in these ridiculous ginned up battles uh, or, or, you know, ginned up conflicts. And, um, and that is really depressing because, I mean, I do, I do think the society that, you know, we are hurtling towards, that is one where artificial intelligence is going to continually encroach on the work of, uh, you know, especially white collar work, but blue collar work as well of human beings making more and more jobs that had previously occupied human beings, you know, basically accelerating industrialization. Um, What's going to, what's the, what's the outcome of that? The outcome, one outcome potentially is a largely dormant populace that has nothing to do um, and what what does a largely dormant populace going to do? I mean, there's a real concern that then they just they they have like filled with rage and they just need to be directed directing that it's rage like, at things. It's like QAnon, it just exactly. Is. It's yeah, it's like it's like we were all everyone was stuck at home and they like you know saw some insane thing on on the internet and now that movie's making a hundred million dollars in the box office. <laughs> right. Like it's just exactly. it's like a natural yeah insane progression to the mainstream yeah. and, you know not to be too dark about it but like i think this movie points at that like, I, think I think that's there's right a little that's, bit yeah. is is like paul verhoven could just be like i fucking told you so like a long time ago you know um 
And also the <laughs> idea that like the potential bread and circus of this or the circus of this culture is like watching propaganda. Like this is YouTube. Whoever yeah. is on, we're, whoever's point of view we're watching here is like on YouTube. Would you like to know more? Like it's just mm-hmm. it's like, a, you know, when I, you don't go to instead of going to bed at night, like a person I'm watching like cooking videos. It's like that, except it's for propaganda. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, no, that's a great, I didn't think about that, but that's exactly right. They're clicking on a screen. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Um, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Man, he's way ahead of the curve. I mean, there was, this Dude, is, this the greatest is incredible. Was. He's so yeah. good. It's amazing. All of his um, movies like are like this, you know, yeah. like, I remember, you know, not to draw too much of a tangent, but the whole um, uh, Boston Marathon bombing. And the kind of like militarization that happened and the kind of like celebration of that and being like, this is like RoboCop. This is like RoboCop. <laughs> like there should be like an Ed 209 out on the streets and, and like patrolling, looking for a guy on a boat. Like it was just yeah. insane. It was nuts. Yeah. We've been on a dark tangent, but there is a really good joke in one of the propaganda videos that that I got a full-throated laugh at, which is <laughs> Mormon extremists disregarded federal warnings and established Port <laughs> Joe Smith deep inside the arachnid containment zone. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Joe Smith. Anyway, that oh that that's a great that's a great little joke. But um, <laughs> what are your guys' takes on the on the like the I would say the parents, but like on the older generation in this movie? Because I think the movie does an interesting yeah. job of setting up the contrast of Ratchek. I believe it's Ratchek as yep. the like teacher turned the teacher who really wants to be like you know like who's sort of set up as like a Vietnam veteran yep. versus like the affluent kind of like shitty father figure who's not a citizen but like doesn't seem that much better like I, I i can't really parse what i think but there's something interesting going on in that dynamic yep i mean i think it's i think what we're getting is the conflict between a capitalist and like the kind of mm. guy who pushes the button or gives the order to go like or a robber baron so to speak uh and and you know the kind of classic blue collar you know the guy who serves and right um that that dichotomy you know what's interesting to me is that those are two if you think of like the republican ideal the the ideal that um you know that often fascists latch onto it's some combination of these two things but they're quite opposed right they latch onto either donald trump that kind of oh he's a self-made man he's such a good businessman he's you know he, he he'll clean up everything because he he knows how to be efficient and then the 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 military veteran right the guy who uh served in the war and get knows how to get his hand dirty hands dirty and all that and um and but like these very few people actually embody both of these these things they're actually somewhat diametrically opposed and but yet both are i think part of that ideology um so that's mm-hmm. one one take on it i mean uh, certainly the dad is portrayed as this like ineffective sniveling uh you know loser guy i i guess um you think do you so? think he's framed to be like kind of progressive in any way? Because he's like, you're not going into the military. I think that's like, right. Is, yeah. is that? I don't know if it is, but it feels like that could be a framing for him. I don't know. I that's it's, right. It's yeah. tough to say. Yeah. yeah, I didn't think he was that bad. I thought he just didn't want his kid to go to a dumb war for no reason. Well, I think, but the problem is that, no, but no, but totally yes, you <laughs> okay. see it that way. But I think the film sees him as compared to Rashek. Rashek is like a cool dude. He's only got one arm. He's super like eloquent when he's giving his speeches in the class. Um, and Rico clearly looks up to him. This is for you new people. I only have one rule. Everyone fights, no one quits. If you don't do your job, I'll shoot you. 
get me. We get you, sir. I know, I know. I guess I just take away from that how like how lost Rico is because what Rico's really like chafing at, I think, is like that his parents have like decided for have him. decided for him mm. and are telling him what to do and are pulling the like you're not going to do that you're not going to go to war we're going to go on a vacation to the outer rings damn it and that's how we're going to fix it you know like they're just like i'm your father and i know what to do mm-hmm. and they're lamenting the fact that he's going to a school that is constantly shoving propaganda down his throat and but like Johnny Rico doesn't even understand that's what's happening. He's like, no, he discourages me. And I'm like, if that's what you think Bradshaw's doing this entire <laughs> year for your past year of high school, like you are so lost and sad. But he has that moment where he asks Rachak what to do. And Rachak's like, you be a man and make your own choice. But really, he's been giving him, you know, he's had his ear this whole, this whole past year. So Johnny Rico's not really making his own choice. He's listening, you know, he's making a choice based on a girl and like a lot of stuff that's been pumped into his head. But um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't have, I didn't think that the, the dad was framed in a bad way at all. Hmm. What do you think, Liam? Well, it's interesting. Cause like the, def- I mean, I think Ratchek is, I mean, first of all, I think Michael Ironside is like the perfect Verhoeven actor. I just yep. think he's, mm-hmm. he's great. And he, he like understands the assignment. And, and I think it's very specific. I also think that like Casper Van Dien understands the assignment. Like your point, like he's such an empty vessel, mm-hmm. you know, to your point, Laura, it's kind of like he can sort of absorb and, and like, you know, everyone else has a focus, right? Like Carmen wants to be a pilot. Uh, Neil, uh, Neil Patrick Harris's character's name. Carl. Is Carl, C- Carl. Also, very German name, by the way. I feel like it's very intentional that he's named German. <laughs> Car- C- Carl. Um, Carl is going to, you know, become like a shadowy, you know, shitty dude. I mean, he has like this clear, he's got this power. Um, and like Dizzy's focused on Rico and Rico doesn't know what to do with himself. And I think that that like, it's powerful that he becomes the kind of like sacrificial, like I'll die for the, I'll die for the Federation. I'll die for all these things. And I think that what's really smart about the what this has to say potentially about a, a society that has destroyed democracy and in some ways completely removed critical thinking is Laura to your point the idea that like you've been in a classroom with someone the whole year teaching you about the failure of democracy and the idea that like a citizen is civilian but then he says it's up to you it's your choice like I've taught right. you to think your own way and it's like that's yeah. what teachers are to some extent meant to do right but when you're poisoned in the society I mean this is the kind of shit we got like during the pandemic with people, you know, that wouldn't wear masks or get vaccinated. It was like, well, I'm, I, I do my own research. And it's just like, <laughs> like, you know, you've been tricked as a character. He's been tricked into thinking that he's making his own choices. And this movie kind of posits that like in a society that has completely removed critical thinking. And instead, you're just watching propaganda videos like there's really no free thought going on. Right. And. That feels like another way that this movie um, kind of sort of anticipates what some of the things that we're dealing with culturally right now. You know, one of my favorite moments in the movie is when the reporter turns to the camera and he's like, some say, I forget exactly what it is, but it's this Brexian moment where he breaks the fourth wall. And he's like, you know, it's it's entirely possible that like we didn't have to, this invasion didn't need to happen. And then there could be a live and let live approach to this. And Rico leans in and he's like, I'm from Buenos Aires and I say, kill them all. And it's like, the reporter has this moment where he looks back at the lens and it's like, the the transformation of like Johnny Rico is kind of complete at that point in the movie, Mm -hmm. right? Like you have to sacrifice yourself and your friends to the greater good. And like, he made this choice himself 
and like his dad's wealth and money don't buy happiness or whatever. And it's, it's the Ratchek way. And the fact that Ratchek then shows up and is like, let's go to war is like, just it's it's like it's 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 really satisfying from an action movie perspective because you're like yeah but like again you're like oh the teacher went to war and it weirdly makes me think a little bit about this is a very strange comparison but uh tom hanks's character in saving private yeah Ryan, i thought about that too yeah who's like a teacher, teacher but like it's tom hanks so he's like an old soul and a caring guy and like really moving. But like this movie kind of like creates the poisonous version of that. Like, and also maybe only veterans in this society can be teachers. Mm. That's another <laughs> thing that's possible. It's yeah. it's never made clear, but it yeah. would make sense. Yeah. The only teachers we've seen had look like, I mean, have been to war. They were pretty maimed. <laughs> right. The science teacher the when they do the amputation teacher. is like has a, has yeah. a, uh, eye patch and, like, and i think she also has like, maybe some like, burns as well and yeah she's yeah. she's she, i don't think she's wow. she, she yeah i i the first i because there's so much is established in the first te- in the first scene with Rachek and it's such a good scene and then we go to this biology scene and i was sort of wondering like what the purpose of that one is because it doesn't give us that much more information but except for that to your point justin it gets us in their mindset of like the bugs are gross the bugs are dangerous because mm-hmm. it's so right. much focus on just like Oh, their insides are gooey and gross and they're, and they're so dangerous and like blech, nasty. We don't we're not going to feel any feelings about them going to kill these things because they're disgusting. Right. And you just have another teacher who's sort of like who is you know, they're so hot and so perfect. <laughs> And yeah, I mean, teachers, I was gonna say the hotties in this movie are just so hot, like it's yeah, ridiculous. They're like, but like they're like overly perfectly are. hot, you know. Mm-hmm. Like the yeah. first Denise Richards smile, you're just like, what? She's like a deer. <laughs> she has like yeah. doe eyes. Like it's incredible. <laughs> um, like she's like, yeah, like AI created like a beautiful woman or something, and they're like, here's the formula or something. And she just like looks sort of unreal, and Casper too. And then next to these sort of like. You know, everybody in the generation ahead of them, besides their rich parents, who I guess are like draft dodgers, essentially, are like, Mm -hmm. are, are, don't have any of their limbs. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So they really are like when they when they when they sign up and the guy's stamping this is fresh meat for the grinder. They are like the the hot fresh meat coming in, and like if like all goes well for them, they're gonna also be gnarled by the end of this. Yeah. And yeah, they are. I mean, by the end of the film, um, it's also a movie that feels like you're like they could have made sequels to this. Like, I mean, they could have made sequels that went along the same lines. But there's no reason for Verhoeven said he everything he needed to say with this movie. It would it would actually be like a complete contrast. But the movie sets it up as like there's going to be more of these, and of course there were. But like whoever greenlit the sequels didn't get the memo that it was satire and sort of made them. There were all these movies that got sequels, right? That were like, mostly Verhoeven movies, I feel like, that were like the original was this like really smart, subversive thing. And then the stuff that followed up is like yeah, taking it uh, literally. Yeah. Uh, or straight-faced. Right. That's sort of a phenomenon. I haven't seen any of, aren't there like a bunch of Jarhead yeah. sequels yeah. out there? Are there? Like, yeah, yeah like, like direct to DVD oh Jarhead, but I think are just like, they're just ops movies. Like, I don't think. Yeah, they, they're totally just ops movies. So I mean, Jarhead is totally an, different than the first yeah, original Yeah, which is an Jarhead. anti-war movie. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> Good movie, as I recall. It's been a I long do, time. Yeah, I do think that, you know, we're obviously only seeing snippets of the society, but um, just to the point about whether Johnny Rico has sort of any agency within this situation. I mean, it it's like 
it is this thing of this, you know, he's so adolescent. It's hard to actually get that out of Casper Van Dien because you're like, this dude is in his mid-30s, but... You know the he, he how old acts. was he? Did anybody? I'm gonna look it up. Look I'm it up. Look it up. He's Keep he's he's not 18 um, as he's supposed to be, but <laughs> um, but he he sort of plays it well, and you get it. Like it doesn't matter really, but but you you sort of see, you feel the character because what do you feel like when you're 18? You feel like you don't have any choice. You know, mm-hmm. when you're 17, right before you graduate, you don't feel like your parents are railroading you. It's like I'm looking at Laura, <laughs> railroading you to college. You got to go to this college and you got to, you know, do these things. And then you got to go to law school or whatever. And it's all set mm-hmm. out for you. Um, and that's the, you know, he, he, he thinks he's making a free choice by diverging from that. Um, where he's really just, you know, moving in line with whatever Rashek was was putting forward. But I think what's interesting is that, like, the movie never reveals that there are any other options. It looks like there are really just two options for people, mm-hmm. right? You can either just be a, uh, you could be a military person, which will then, if you survive, you could be a teacher or you can have children. <laughs> uh Although interestingly, his parents had him, so some. But they, maybe it's they say. I think they say like it's harder to have kids if you if you don't harder serve, get a license, get a yeah. license, right? So if yeah. you're super rich, you I have think to you apply. Can, yeah. yeah. Anyway, um, but but or you just become, you know, I don't know whatever this like whatever his dad does. I don't have no idea what his dad like, seems dope. You can go to the outer rings rich. for vacation. Yeah, he's just yeah, rich. He's just like a capitalist, it's nice you to know. Turn here. Um, <laughs> But like, Out yeah, rings. I, I, Out of rings. <laughs> but because like on the surface, you're like, I, I don't know. I, I like that. That sounds like a good gig. Like, what are you doing? But, you know, it is this. I must just be this feeling of like, you know, like when when we all rebel and Laura, you know, you rebelled and you didn't go to the right college or whatever. Yeah. You also just want to do what all your friends are doing. Mom, uh, that's true. Yeah. I want to do what all my friends are doing. We made a special pact. Yeah. Right. Well, I was also just thinking that like this movie is kind of like a Bill, is it called a Bill Dung's Roman? Like a, a movie about like someone's journey into adulthood through their mm-hmm. like spiritual education or something like that. And like, mm-hmm. this is kind of a twisted version of that where it's like he goes from not knowing who he is to being like, I'm going to go get my arm bit off by a fucking bug to, uh, because I believe in like, I believe in the Federation or I believe in like whatever whatever this this is right this fascistic society that prizes militarism over above all else like it's kind of a twisted version of that yeah i mean he he's good at a couple things we know he's good at football and that turns out to translate well to the military so it's there's no surprise that like he's going to be good and mm. i think he likes that he's good in the military like he wants once he's there the first thing that motivates him is becoming squad leader i guess right mm-hmm. and when he gets it He's really happy and he feels fulfilled, but then he gets that guy killed. Yeah. And so, you know, I do wonder, like, I do feel like there's that seduction of like getting, you know, finding the thing you're kind of good at, right? Getting that first reinforcement of I found something that I'm good at. And and I imagine that, yeah, a lot of people find that in the military. Um, sure. There's nothing in principle wrong with that, but um, or they find it in whatever but anyway, I do sort of see like, yeah, it's just interesting that the film doesn't set up any other options. It's just like this. And um, but maybe that's that's where I don't know. And then by the time he I mean, he almost walks right. Wash out lane. Right. Or, and then he well, really doesn't have any other options because his home is blown up. That's right. Come on. 
A murderer was captured this morning and tried today. Guilty. Sentence, death. Execution tonight at 6, all net, all channels. Would you like to know more? If you think you're psychic, maybe you are. Federal studies are being conducted in your community. Would you like to know more? The Washington Post's review um, at the at the mo in the time that it was released was that um, for Hovenstone was so inconsistent that it's impossible to decide whether he's sending up the Third Reich or in love with it. Wow, that's a bad take. Now, that's yeah, like an embarrassing real. read of of this movie. Bec but but that's kind of what makes it interesting and dangerous. Yeah. is it is seductive, right? Yeah. Like, I don't know if this movie were made now, you feel like you'd need the virtuous character who sort of signals that like this is bad you got like you know what i mean i just don't i'm not to be mm -hmm. like movies ugh, but like it just feels like it would you can't get away with this i mean like this isn't that different from like captain america the captain america movie like kind of loser boy finds his like destination in life but you know that's plays it straight and like you you just couldn't get away with this level of love i think this level of subversion i mean that's why paul verhoeven doesn't make movies in america anymore in geneva the federal council convenes we must meet the threat with our valor, our blood, indeed with our very lives, to ensure that human civilization, not insect, dominates this galaxy now and always. Sky Marshal Deans announces plans for an offensive against Clandathan, source of the bug meteor that destroyed Buenos Aires. So one character we haven't talked about is Dizzy, mm -hmm. the heart uh, i guess she's heart sick and then love with johnny rico and i was reading something her death when she's like at least i got you and then she dies and i was reading something <laughs> yesterday that was like verhoven it's like verhoven's misogyny coming for coming again and like hmm. he has this complicated i mean you know basic instinct not only in the in the movie but in the production of that movie like there was some controversial stuff but like does that read to you guys does it feel like that's an accurate take of the character. I feel like it's just another kind of archetypal model that this movie is needs to have, which is like the woman in love with the protagonist. And to Dina Mayer's credit, she's one of the best things about the movie, in my opinion. I, I love Dizzy. Yeah, I think she's my favorite, actually. Um, yeah, I, I didn't. I mean, I think that line, at least I got you, is it's just sad, you know, but like mm -hmm. I didn't think it was like massage. I was just like, this girl like really is in love with him. And you know, just the way that Johnny was mooning over Carmen and Carmen wasn't that into him. It's not clear how Johnny really felt about her. But I don't know. I like when they finally get together, I was like, these two make sense together. I'm happy for mm -hmm. them. They're simple and they want they don't have the same kind of ambi ambitions that Carmen does. And like, I think she's such a fun character. I really like I really like Dizzy. What's the reason for the misogyny? It's just that she's so sort of a character defined by men. Yeah, like yeah, so I devoted so. to him or whatever. Yeah, I think everybody's an archetype in this in this movie. Yeah. I think you said that well. So I, I, it didn't bother me. I think it, it's th this. Yeah, sorry. yeah. I mean, he, I mean, Rico is mm -hmm. as devoted to Carmen to the extent that I mean, both of them, Rico for Carmen and Dizzy for Rico, sign up to the military for that other person um, to the point, right? And they're following that their love to the military. So 
yeah, anyway. I think she's just supposed to be kind of a mirror of what's going on with him and Carmen. Because yeah. there's that mm-hmm. even that moment where he says to her, I love you. And he, Johnny says to to Carmen, I yeah. love you. And she won't say it back. Yeah. And then Dizzy has that moment where she says, I love you to Johnny. And he doesn't say it back. You know, I think we're just, I think she's just meant to be the mirror for of Carmen. Um but I, totally. I, I think, I think for Hoven loves her character too. I don't know. She gets like a lot of like, I, she probably gets more screen time than Carl or Carmen, and um, and she's radiant in this movie too. I love her she's curly great. hair. She's so good in the movie too. She's like <laughs> a really good actress. I, mean, she, I feel like I'm sad we didn't get more of her. Yeah, she. I mean, she, she illustrates uh, another aspect of the kind of semi-progressive nature i mean i don't know how you think about it of the of the society of the film which is that there there's this kind of obliteration of gender divisions Mm -hmm. so um she plays there's no like men's and women's football she plays on they're all on the team same team together they all shower together and it's not called there's no it's never called attention to they're just yeah they're all it's just like fine have you guys heard the shower scene story no. No. So when they were making this movie, Paul Verhoeven, <laughs> classically European, was like, okay, get, take your clothes off. And everyone was like, um, can we just like wait until we shoot because we're rehearsing now? And he was like, no, take your clothes off. And they were all like, eh. And he was like, fine. And he just got naked. And he just like told the crew to get naked and he just like dropped trout and was like, let's just do it and go for it. And like, I don't know if the tr- the crew thing is true, but apparently he was like insistent, like everyone take your clothes off. And you have to wonder if like, if now, if like maybe Paul Verhoeven gets canceled. I don't know. Like this story yeah. and some other things you hear, it's like, I don't know if you need to take your clothes off. Like, you know, can someone find me an intimacy coordinator to be on this set for who? So I just love that. He was like, yeah. everybody get naked. Let's that feels it. definitely different. I was thinking about like that story. I think this is, I hope this is not apocryphal, but I heard that for um, Lost in Translation, Scarlett Johansson was like not so sure about like the lingerie, like the opening scene where you see her in her lingerie and Sofia Coppola is like, well, I'll do it for, like I'll model it for you. Mm. And that feels like a fun like lady moment. And yeah, yeah this does not feel like the no, same. I feel it's like, like, the, you know, yeah, usually we, the director does out, not like, need. It's weird. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm really interested in the thing that you said, Liam, about how we have this real contrast. And I love that you 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 thinking of it as like Brechtian um, between the, the sort of mediocre acting and set design and then these like highly intense stylized action sequences, which are, uh, w- w- you know, which would go toe to toe with kind of any of the action scenes of that day. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, it, you know, I think. I think that contrast is, I think, a crucial dimension of this film. And I think it's a crucial dimension of a lot of Verhoeven, especially, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if you think about, like, Robocop. Um, and then you also think about even, like, his, his sort of sexy sexy thrillers, like Basic Instinct and Showgirls, where it's not, like, it's not just there, there's nudity, but there's, like, ex- sort of extreme amounts of nudity mm-hmm. for mainstream films. It's like in, he, quote, bad taste. He's not afraid yes. to have bad taste, which is, like, right. so remote from the way that most and i would say that a lot of the filmmakers we reference like hanake has good taste almost impact almost to a fault right or like mm-hmm. i wouldn't say that lars von trier has good taste but they're so wrapped up in their identity as like auteurists that they can't like they can't risk embarrassment and i think that like art like the, the art like that risks embarrassment like this is like next level because mm-hmm. this could have just been like such a disaster and it isn't because the tightrope that he walks yeah. throughout the the whole movie you know it's like there's this great 
screen direct stage direction in um, Tony Kushner's play Angels in America. That's like the sort of the scene at the end when the angel pops out of the roof, which is how the first part uh, Millennium approaches ends. It's uh, Millennium approaches ends. This angel pops out and says like greetings traveler or something like that. And then the screen direct the directions. It's like the social the special effects in this should be awesome, but I'm also okay if you see the wires. <laughs> and that's like Tony Kushner, the great Brechtian, being like, let's make people aware of the like that this is an apparatus that this is an entertainment that like we shouldn't get too caught up in it and like so if you kind of balk at starship troopers you're engaging with it critically and then hopefully maybe you're engaging with the ideas yeah that it presents in a critical way yeah but at the same time it flexes when mm -hmm. it comes to certain aspects and i think that's what's so intriguing is that the the action scenes are so uh you know strong and and that i mean i think that's that tightrope that you're talking about where like he could have made the action scenes totally hammy and and eat, call yeah. attention to them as well and, and make them look really cheesy. Um, but there's clearly a lot of care and attention given to them. I mean, to the extent that I, I think I even remember seeing a behind the scenes featurette on those. And I remember them showing how they did like the CGI for like when the woman's hand gets melted off, which is an incredible <sighs> effect. It looks incredible. great. Um, yeah. And you know, I think like, I, I mean, they were just like, look, isn't this cool? Like as if it was Star Wars episode one, Phantom Menace, yeah, you know, like this totally. is like amazing feats of VFX, the, the, you know, innovation that we're doing here. And I think that's what's so interesting is that that's like paired with not, um, you know, the, the, the best actors or whatever, but like with and or like the best sets or everything, but like with this kind of hammy stuff, this soap opera -y vibe. Um, and I think that there's just, it, that's the tone that you could call that like a jumbled tone or you could just be like, mm -hmm. no, that's just a Verhoeven tone. It's like yeah. his own thing. And like nobody else has that vibe really. Um, anyway, I think well, that- he's also completely unpretentious. You know, there's that like, I was actually reading, you know, per our conversation earlier about Oppenheimer, this like quote that like any movie about war, I think it's Jean-Luc Godard, like any movie about war is inherently pro-war mm. because- you know, any representation of the glory of war makes, or that makes war look exciting. And I feel like he took that quote and was like, all right, well, I'm going to like double down on like the kind of like, I'm going to double down on that really hard. Like I'm going to make this super attractive. And yet at the same time, make you sort of aware of how absurd these characters are yeah. or, or sort of like archetypal or whatever. You're not, you're not, you're not really emotionally invested, but you're certainly like going along with the beats and you feel the beats like like dizzy's function as like the yeah. mirror to carmen like you're like mm -hmm, yep this is a 90210 episode that <laughs> culminates with like absolutely killer special offense in science fiction and i do think that there's something interesting in the action because most of the action is soldiers trying to take down giant bugs with machine guns that almost do nothing to the bugs. Mm -hmm. So like a lot of the time you're just watching them be like, <laughs> and like they just keep shooting and nothing happens. And like, yeah. I feel like there's a critique in that of like sending these people into battle with like not the techniques or the tools that they need to like actually do the job. It's like a power and numbers thing. So there's even the action has a little bit of critique in it. Like, yes, you know, the obvious parallel is like, Vietnam and like you yeah. know fighting a war against a, a, a 
uh, you know, soldiers who fought in a completely different way. And like the, the rules of engagement were different. This is kind of similar. It's like you're fighting giant bugs that do not go down with machine guns. And all you have is machine guns. Yeah. And, and then they and, do the rocket launcher and you're like, that's badass. But yeah. Like, that's, well, well, <laughs> and to your point, they, the first, uh, you know, invasion, which is on Klandathu is like a, a, a huge disaster. And that's why the, that guy has to step down or whatever. But like w- the question that I had was this. So, um, that all works as a meta text. Okay, fine. It's a critique and all that. But like within the text of the film, it makes no sense. Because if you think nope. about it, all right, how many generations of war have they been? They got all these dudes, no arms, whatever. Okay. So they've been fighting things. You know, these guys have got to be the militaristically like at the top of their game. Furthermore, they've been fighting these bugs off and on for a period of time. You know, I mean, they they know all about the bugs and everything. So they presumably... They know their weaknesses and strengths. So then how are they getting like totally dominated on that first battle when they go in there and and are c- totally confused and nobody knows how to deal with this? Like it's it it obviously I to your point it works like, you know, as a as a commentary, but within the source of the film it's like it's it's just like it, I don't know. As soon as you well, think about it for 1 second it doesn't make any sense. I think that one of the things that's interesting about this movie is what it doesn't show. And it never shows the well, the lords of war, the war profiteers, mm-hmm. the war industrial complex, the people that make money off war because they're often quite far removed from the war. And it's like, again, if you accept the reading that like we are watching a propaganda film or a meta commentary, it's like, who's profit? I mean, not <laughs> it feels like we're going down a rabbit hole, but like who's profiting off this war? Who's making the money? Who is who is like, you know, and, and the fact that we as an audience are never given like someone to point to and go like that's the human bad guy like no the bad guys are the bugs the bad guys can't be anyone but the bugs right so it's like it's just the 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 idea that like you know that we all talk about in terms of militarism like why does this why are we spending money on this what's the value it's not adding anything to our system most people would say it's adding nothing to our society the flip side of that is like this idea that by engaging in it you're part of a long-standing tradition of defending your your country or what all those you know what i would not I would have trouble taking seriously. It feels as though like the lack of that, the void of that is, is a comment in and of itself. Like Mm -hmm. this is a society that has accepted war as the logical conclusion. There's no antagonism on planet earth. So we have to drum up a war so someone can make money. And we don't, we never see who that is. Well, I think it's, Um, I think it's both that, but I think it's also the thing I've been sort of pushing, I guess, is that it's war as, as creating meaning in a meaningless mm. world. And and like, cause these are people, my read is that like, these are people who, if they didn't give them a war, they would be, they would just be killing each other because they have nothing else going on in their lives. Their lives are effectively devoid of meaning. They have, you know, they, you know, they have their basic needs are met. Um, I'm imagining that the, uh, you know, that technologically they're at a point where they, they you know they don't need to do manual labor and stuff so like what left is there and and mm-hmm. then the movie is basically saying what's left is you still want to kill people because you have those evolutionarily ingrained impulses so we need to give you that or else you're going to start killing each other and so then they you know so i think that's one of the things that i think is mm. gained. of course you're right that there's obviously also a military industrial complex that's profiting by uh, you know, by selling these arms and, and well, so on. Also think of it as, as teenagers. Like, <laughs> I mean, what are, what are so many movies sold on? The backbone of war. Like, war's cool in movies, right? Yeah. So, like, even that is almost 
maybe yeah. Paul Verhoeven doing the commentary of like, oh, you like you like war movies, huh? Like the the history of, of <laughs> war in cinema is, you know, there's so many great war movies. And like even those of us who I think are like very anti-war are still like, you know, a movie rocks ass, full metal jacket, right? Like it's hard to like distance. I mean, you know, every year there's a good war movie, you know, and, and again, that comes back to this argument. And I think what Verhoeven's engaging with is like to show war on screen is to glorify it. But he's kind of like, all right, well, I'm going to do that and I'm going to do commentary at the same time. And that, that's kind of what makes the movie dangerous. Now, I don't know if in 2023, it's quite the same level of satire that it was in 1997, but like still really, really works. And the one thing I want to say is that in a weird way, the hero at the end of the movie is the private. It's the lowest ranking officer. It's, you know what I mean? I think that that's significant, that they're like, it's not, you know what? It's not these military eggheads. It's not these like, it's the new guy. And like, of course it's Clancy Brown. Who's like previously been at a higher level, but it's like, even if you fall down flat on your face, you could still be a hero for the Federation. Come join. Like it's essentially <laughs> those, those army commercials yeah, yeah, that yeah. we see it. Like we saw on TV. I'm like, between episodes of like Seinfeld in yeah. 1997 or whatever. Like it yeah. feels very specific that the hero at the end of the movie is the private. Liam, let me ask you. So as a Verhoeven fan, um, you know, where, where does this one rank for you in, in his filmography? Damn it, Justin. Uh, no, it ranks pretty high. Like I think it's, I think it's, um, I think it's, it's really an important movie for my brain, I think. And and for the way that I think about movies like this, um, if I really had to pick a favorite, I'm pretty blown away by Black Book, a movie that I think is also subversive and and kind of like yep. complicated in how it views this post-war, you know, the, the sort of universal way that we're most meant to interpret the time after World War II. And the like, it's also a movie about dehumanizing people for political, political aims and, and a much more like very complicated one because it's real world. And also that movie has incredible acting. I mean, that's up for, for me. Flesh and Bone is incredible. Um, I, you know, I, he, he, he hasn't, with the exception of maybe Hollow Man, he hasn't missed. So I would, I would probably put this in the top two or three. And actually, I, I think Hollow Man gets a bad rap. I think like many of his movies, age has to turn that movie into like a pretty interesting uh, movie about gender. I also saw Basic Instinct for the first time this summer in like many, many years. And I was like, holy crap, is this the best movie that was made in the 90s? So like, I hope this good. movie's amazing. It's, it's very so good. good. It's just so much better than all the ones surrounding it. But Laura, right. do you have a view on? I mean, it's. I think it's Basic Instinct for me, but I, I have not seen his filmography, nor have I revisited some of the stuff. Like, I feel like, I did not watch RoboCop in the best conditions. I watched it the first time with you, Justin, mm -hmm. a couple of years ago, and I don't think we saw it like, you know, I, in my head, like it was like there was too much light. You know, I couldn't really see it very well. We weren't watching it like in a nice theater or something like that. I need to like revisit RoboCop. Um, but I really loved Black Book, too. And um, I liked Al a lot. I wasn't that into Benedetta. But I liked I, of his. I haven't seen stuff. Benedetta yet. I need to set aside like a couple hours to watch that. Um, it looks incredible, and it's just on Hulu. I don't know why I'm not just watching it. I don't understand. But you'll, sometimes you'll, you're like, you'll like it. I think okay. it's. I really enjoyed Benedetta. It's just speaking of things with bad taste. Is lots of that. Oh the, yes, um, and it's great. It's <laughs> it's just wonderful. I, I think I actually do have a real soft spot for Benedetta. Part in part because you liked it a lot more than me. I yeah. do. I like. I, I, but I like the idea. So it's about sort of what true faith would mean mm. um and in a way it's a satire of the uh, yeah not in a way it totally is a satire and takedown of 
the phoniness of organized religion. So I'm just sitting here like, yep, this is just. Did you guys just... know that he's a Jesus scholar? A Jesus scholar. Paul Verhoeven is a Jesus scholar, a recognized Jesus scholar. He wrote a okay. book called Jesus of Nazareth. Really? That's very much worth reading. And um, I saw him talk about the book and present Life of Brian. It's his favorite movie, which is really, <laughs> really sense. interesting. So he presented Life of Brian and then talked about it. Um, this is in, in New York. And then he signed books and he's making the Jesus movie now. And his Jesus movie, uh, the way he described it is the first shot is Christ on the crucifix. And he's, you know, writhing and he's in pain. And then the camera pans wide and you realize he's being crucified with like 60 other people because historically that's what would have happened. Yeah. And it's sort of like he wants to sort of portray him as like Jesus the exorcist. So he's going around like exercising demons and throwing ho holy water at people. And I'm like, holy shit, if this movie gets made, like it's going to be the greatest. Like it's going to be so controversial. And like, God bless Paul Verhoeven yes. if he gets to make this movie. That's the kind of film I want to see. No, I mean, that's Benedetta is, is you know, we're moving in that direction. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it's, it's like great. a warm yeah, up for like, that. Yeah, it's good. It's fun. Um, I wanted to just mention one yes. little dumb thing. We didn't talk about how much bug goo is in this movie. A lot, a lot of bug goo. It's a lot of bug goo. Like I <laughs> High quotient, quotient of bug goo. Yeah, like I was just thinking about like when we were, the war scenes and this relationship to, to like war movies, like people, sh you know, they got the, the machine guns and then they're just covered yeah. in yellow mm -hmm. or green. Some bugs have different goo. Mm -hmm. Some of them are red goo bugs and some of them are yellow goo bugs. But they were just like in like buckets of goo and throwing it on their actors. And it's like kind of funny in like a Nickelodeon kind of way. And it's right. kind of gross. And it makes you also not really feel like the bugs are like creatures that you need to feel any empathy for right. because they're just like goo filled. They're like giant also, ants. Right. But if they were covered in that much blood, it would be That's really horrifying. Right, but like it's yeah. like instead it's like slapstick and weird and cartoony and like well, and it doubles down on what you said is that you see the bugs at the beginning get um, amputated, like they're treated like a frog in science class or yeah. whatever, whatever you amputated, like they're dehum, they're de, uh, I guess humanized or whatever. Um, <laughs> yeah. Also, I think that's the most anyone has said goo outside of a Nickelodeon show. So congratulations, Laura, you nailed it, I just, you nailed it with the with the number of goo. So much, yeah. yeah when. Carver, I think it was just Carver. Yeah, I don't know Carver. the actor. Carver from The Wire. At one point, like I, he's like head to toe and toe in yellow goo. Scooing it up. Scene. Oh my god, that is Carver from The Wire. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> kind of had like low key had the best career of any of the actors in this movie. Um, Patrick Neil Harris. Neil Patrick. Neil Harris. Patrick yeah, Harris. Neil Patrick Harris. Harris. I sorry, I forgot. Just fine. I forgot. I forgot. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um. Liam, so okay, so the podcast is Die Hard on a Blank. So tell Called us Die about on a Blank. Yeah. So, yes. um, what was the impulse to to do a Die Hard podcast? So, um, it was not mine actually. I was doing a uh, this podcast for a while called Uber Busters, which we did a we just sort of went in deep dives. We did a season on um, you can still find this online on um, John Cassavetes, then a season on uh, Batman, then a season on Toshiro Mifune and Akira Kurosawa's 16 features that they made together. And then that was sort of, we didn't, we ran out of time and I started producing podcasts professionally. Um, but what happened is at the place that I work, Phil Gawthorne is a screenwriter and he's a client of the company. And he came to this podcast division and said, I want to do a podcast that's about the history of action movies after Die Hard. And like, despite my sort of like 
pretentious references to Brecht and Jean-Luc Godard, like my entry into movies is action movies, like obsessively as a kid. I think probably a lot of people born in the you know early 80s felt that way. So when he pitched it to me, I was like, yeah, this sounds really, really fun. And so the idea is to look at, it's like an kind of like a, a bit of an academic study into like, how, where can you see the threads of Die Hard and how it influenced things that came after it? So we've done, we're actually... We've done about 15 episodes. We just covered um, Last Action Hero a couple weeks ago, which I think is a really interesting movie and a, and a real case study for where we are in culture with the way that everything references itself. And we just, well, I guess when this comes out, we'll probably have just covered Speed, Die Hard on a Bus. So that's mm. coming up. Um, Excellent. Yeah, it's really fun. It's it's um, Phil does like a ton of research and and I sort of like you know, follow in his trail in terms of thinking about it. But we have a lot of fun. And, and we, we've covered some movies that I've seen a million times. And we've covered some movies like um, that I've only seen that I really watched for the first time in the podcast. So I feel like I'm getting up to speed. And I have to say, it really is a lesson. And like, man, they don't make them like they used to. Like the fact that like every three weeks, you had like an absolutely killer action movie starring like Harrison Ford or Gene Hackman is wild to me yeah. in our contemporary moment so yeah it's really a lot of fun um die hard on a blank.com excellent yeah check it out folks i think you'll get a kick out of it um liam thank you very much for being here and of course where can people so die hard on a blank.com but then where can people follow you if they want to follow you on twitter i'm on twitter um at liam g billingham <laughs> we'll see for how long speaking of fascism um <laughs> but that's where I am for now. And I'm on Instagram at the same handle, uh, Liam G. Billingham. And uh, yeah, follow me there. And, and the podcast is Diary on a Blank. And then my website um, is liambillingham.com. I also uh, very occasionally host a podcast about Eric Romare, the French filmmaker called Romarecast. But um, my co-host is shooting his first feature in Sri Lanka right now. So we're on a, mm. we're on a break. Excellent. Well, uh, thanks, guys, for thank having you me. For, yeah, for sure. Thank you for coming on, Liam. This was super fun. Okay, well, thanks everyone for listening. Um, just want to mention that um, if you enjoyed the episode, we do appreciate it if you leave a review or a rating on Apple, on iTunes. Um, and yeah, you can find us on the web at cowspod.wordpress.com and on Twitter at cowspod. In two weeks, we will be talking to John Gabris, welcoming back Gabris to the podcast to talk about 2004's King Arthur, directed by Antoine Fuqua. So hopefully we'll see you then. Mm -hmm.